Judges chapter 6. We're in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. As we continue to look at uh, Gideon's life and some of the things the Lord's doing in his uh, early calling here. Uh, he has uh, went through the first meeting with the angel from the Lord. Angel of the Lord, verse 21, refers to him. Uh, and uh, now he hears from the Lord a second time. Uh, Matthew Henry said that God's visits, if gratefully received, shall be graciously repeated. I like that. Uh, it depends how we receive it, and he will continue to uh, speak to us and through us. So Gideon had given honor in his first visit from God by bringing, uh, verse 18 calls it a present or a sacrifice or an offering, whatever you want to name that. Now God speaks again to Gideon, and he didn't wait long either. He's talking to Gideon on the very night of the day that he had first appeared to him. Uh, the subject of this second message that the Lord brings to Gideon is about a religious restoration. Uh, the, some things need to be taken care of initially here, and Gideon could not undertake the work of fighting the Midianites until he first restored righteousness at home. And we're going to look at that as a lesson tonight. It's a good, good thing for us to remember as well. But let's look, if we could, at uh, Judges 6, verse 25. The Bible says, It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Think about that. Uh, actually using the false idols, the material, to make a fire, to make a sacrifice to the Lord, in adding insult to injury there. Verse 27, Then Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, but that he did it by night. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said unto one another, Who had done this thing? When they inquired and asked and said, Gideon the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, because he has cut down the grove that was by. It's understandable that they were upset. How would you like to worship a god that would fall on his face in the middle of the night and uh, defenseless against uh, people who did that? And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself because one hath cast down his altar. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening as we look at these verses and uh, the challenge you had for Gideon as we can easily apply these to our life as well. And as we do that tonight, may we find ourselves in this story. In Jesus' name, amen. From our passage here tonight, I want to focus tonight on the orders, the obedience, and the opposition here in Gideon's, uh, the order for restoration that he, God gives him. Looking first at the orders, it's very clear. Verse 25 and 26, take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years. Uh, he's to cast down the altar of Baal. He's to cut down the grove by it. And he's to build an altar to the Lord God on top of that rock. 
The orders that Gideon gets now will determine his commitment to God's service going forward. F.B. Meyer uh, said, we are first tested in the less before we are called to the greater. Now that's true in all of our Christian lives. God tests us in little ways and and then guess what happens as we pass them? We get harder tests and harder tests. And, and the idea is that we grow closer and closer and more mature in the Lord. Luke 16.10 put it this way. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Before Gideon delivers a nation, he must first deliver a family. Uh, before Gideon, or, or to prove his commitment here, uh, to the, he basically has to do this small job to prove his commitment to be trusted with a big job. And so looking at the order here, for the, the, there was a twofold part of it. He was to destroy the altar of Baal, and he was to raise the altar of Jehovah. Now, worship of Baal has been widely accepted by the Israelites in this time. And one of the, you, you could see altars all over the place. You know, on, down south they say there's a church on every corner. There would, be an, uh, there would be an altar to Baal on every corner in this area of Israel. Uh, so he, he, uh, one of these actually belonged to his own father. Now, it was evidently more than just a personal altar. It wasn't something like a, a family-only altar because otherwise when it was taken down and destroyed, the, whole, the men of the city wouldn't have been upset by it. So we understand it was a, a bigger than just their family. And right beside the altar of Baal stood what the Bible calls the grove. Now, the, a, the actual or the, the literal meaning of the original word is images. And so there were images or this grove. That, this was related to the female goddess Ashtaroth and uh, these images or, or statues or whatever they were. Uh, they were built uh, to honor that false god. And Gideon's instruction was to throw down the altar of Baal and cut down the images of Ashtaroth. Now, this did not allow for any compromise with paganism. God never allows for any compromise with paganism or false worship. Gideon was to attack the worship of Baal quite literally with a sledgehammer. He wasn't supposed to be gentle about it. He was supposed to destroy it. He was supposed to be absolutely merciless in his opposition to idolatry. Now, we talk about idolatry in the Bible, and I, I thought, prayed about perhaps someday doing a series, but, you know, we, we look at the word idolatry, and we put it kind of in the Old Testament, like it was a long thing ago. We are rife with idolatry in our nation today. Just because we don't build little Buddhas or uh, little statues and bow down before them uh, doesn't mean we aren't guilty of idolatry. The Bible tells us that even covetousness is idolatry. And so an idol will be anything you put between you and God. Uh, but this is, this is the only way to conquer evil as far as God is concerned. Don't play games with it. We don't meet in the middle. We eradicate it. We get rid of it. And in this day and age, I'm afraid sometimes we're almost too careful. We don't want to offend, and we don't want to be uh, what the world would consider rude. And so, we, in fact, we put a really high priority on not offending. I, I do that in my life. I'm sure you do too. We don't want to offend. And I think we might put too high of a priority on it sometimes. Uh, we're told to have compassion. Uh, we're told to be kind. We just heard the verse. The Bible tells us to be kind, but the world looks at that compassion and kindness as if, 
if we should handle sin with kid gloves and we should be nice about it and not call it out, not name it as it is, um, we are disgustingly sensitive about dealing with evil today. Uh, we forget that judgment is it's necessary, it's vital if holiness is to exist. In the interest of love and forgiveness, we actually find that we do not, uh, if we look at love and forgiveness as just that without uh, judgment, without holiness, uh, it's, it's, that's what the world wants us to do. It's all about love. There's no judgment attached. Uh, but we have to understand real love and real forgiveness uh, has to have a hatred of wickedness and sin involved in it. It's not love to allow your children to dwell in sin. You understand what I'm saying? And so I love them too much. Uh, I've heard parents say this, even little kids that are just, just brats, you know, and I just love them too much to punish them. I love, no, you know, that's not love. It's not love to not discipline a child. It's not love to get out of the way and let people live the way they want to live. Real love is going to attack sin. Jesus did it, and he was love incarnate. Uh, don't forget that the evil of Baalism here had brought the terrible oppression of the Midianites on Israel. It needed to be dealt with accordingly. And so sin, as destructive and as horrible as it is, we don't need to treat it any less than what it is. Wickedness and destruction of sin, we ought to remember that when dealing with it. Tolerance of evil will only lead to more defeat. And so we cannot tolerate it at all in our lives. We have to deal with it firmly if we're going to gain victory over it. The altar of Baal must be destroyed. Not put a pulpit in front of it and make a speech about it. It needs to be destroyed. That's what God said. Don't leave a stone in place. And the same is true in our lives when it comes to sin. We need to eradicate it. Read this story. I found it humorous. A hunter raised his rifle and was taking careful aim at a large bear. He's about to pull the trigger when the bear spoke in a soothing voice to him. He said, isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What do you want? Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's negotiate. So the hunter lowered his rifle and said, well, I, I want a fur coat. And the bear said, good, well, I want a full stomach. So let's sit down and negotiate to compromise. They sat down and they began to negotiate. And in a few moments, the bear walked away alone. The, the negotiations had been successful. He had a full stomach and the hunter had his fur coat, so to speak. Listen, if we give the devil one inch, he's going to take a mile. We don't negotiate with sin. We don't negotiate with evil. And this needs to be remembered in our families. Oh, I tell you, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I know probably every generation says this, but it's really hard to raise kids in this day and age right now because they're just uh, evil is so accessible. And we can't play around with it. We need to uh, eradicate that thing, those things from our lives. The Bible is filled with stories of people who just let their guard down just a little bit. Remember David? supposed to go to battle with the kings, instead stayed home. Took a vacation. Took a walk on his roof. We know what happened. Remember uh, Lot? Lot, he didn't do anything wrong. He just pitched his tent the wrong direction. And later we find him, the next time it talks about him, he's in the city. 
on the city council, so to speak. Peter, Noah, all kinds of people in the Bible just let their guard down a little bit and fell into wicked sin. Uh, there's no negotiating with Satan. And so that's what God's making clear here. We're going to destroy Baal. Cut it down, tear it down, knock it down, and uh, don't leave one brick on the other. Anything you give up towards Satan, he'll take, but because he's a liar, he'll never give you the payoff that's promised for it. It's only misery and, and heartache uh, that comes from sin. So then, so he was supposed to tear down the tear down the false altar. Then he was supposed to raise the altar of Jehovah. It's, it's essential that he raised then an altar toward God because Gideon had to do more than just tear down the false altar. He has also build a true altar. Victory over sin, don't miss this now, is not only destruction, it is construction. A lot of times we think we just have to get rid of the sin and that's the end. That's not the end of it. If we're going to maintain victory over that sin, we had better replace it with something good and something right. Uh, because victory over sin is not only negative, it's also positive. It's not enough to denounce sin. We have to embrace righteousness. So when Gideon threw down the instruments of idolatry, really only half his work was done. That's really important. Get rid of the wickedness. But conviction of sin must be followed by the creation of a new heart if the life is to be pure. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that, the transforming of the mind and renewing of the mind. I think of uh, what we heard Sunday is probably the best example of that that I could even bring up. Uh, what happened in Japan, uh, Brother, Brother Oshu was telling us about, when uh, all these Japanese for, I don't know if it was hundreds of years, but I know for years and years before World War II, their, their emperor was their god. They worshipped him as a god. Then he lost a war. Their god was unseated. This is why they've went from that religion they had then to now it's mostly atheism because their god was proved false. Well, one of our generals asked for a thousand missionaries to be sent over. Only a couple went. But it's a perfect example of the god was toppled, but nothing replaced that false god. And therefore, what we're left with now is a nation of atheists. Now, I don't know what would have happened if actually a thousand missionaries would have went, but I have to believe that we'd be looking at a different nation over there today if you'd have had the truth put in. You can't only take away the evil, you have to replace it with the good. And so that's what Gideon was told to do here. He was to build the altar to Jehovah on the top of this rock, verse 26. The idea was that this is going to be a public thing, not a hidden thing. The God has no secret agents. There's a lot of people that have wanted to sign up for that position. He doesn't have any secret agents. Matthew 10:32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Unless we have the before men in our confession, it's not going to be worth much. Because God is not impressed with secret discipleship or a secret agent type uh, serving of him. So the building of the altar was to include sacrificing the altar. Gideon was to sacrifice the second bullock on the altar using the wood from the images. Now the second bullock, it tells us here, was seven years old. This represented the seven years of oppression of the Midianites. So look at then the purpose of the order here. The reason for giving Gideon this order is again to emphasize what we've been saying all the way back to God's the, the first visit in the last chapter 
if we're going to solve our problems, we have to deal with the root source or the cause of our problem, not just the effect of it. And so Israel had a big problem, the oppression of the Midianites. In fact, remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> they asked for a deliverer. God sent them a preacher. They were all uh, uh, they were ready for somebody to deliver them, beg the, for, a, for a conqueror. God sent them a prophet. And first he preached against their sin because that was their real problem, their sin. The real problem was obviously the Midianites are oppressing them is a terrible problem, but that's not the root cause. The root cause is their sin. So the main problem is that they had turned from Jehovah to Baal. So God brought chastisement on them in the form of the Midianites and getting the, rid of the Midianites then would not solve their problem because that was just a symptom of their problem. They needed to deal with what brought the Midianites on them in the first place. The altar of Baal must be thrown down. It's important that we recognize the order here. That God didn't just call Gideon, go out and defeat the Midianites, and he could have done that. But we're going to deal with what's the real problem first. Gideon, before we're going to defeat any kind of uh, secular oppression, you better deal with the spiritual problem first, and that is the altar to Baal. I think that's very important. Now, just because we know what life is like and church is like and all those things, the temptation here to compromise would be a very real thing. Why don't we just leave the altar to Baal and build a bigger altar to God? Have them there side by side. Uh, getting, uh, th th this is really an age-old problem. Folks that will allow the altar of God into their life but are unwilling to get rid of their altars of evil. I'm sure, Pastor Forsberg, you've seen this your whole ministry as well. People that'll, that really like to keep that. I remember years ago I visited the Hoover Dam. I don't know if you've ever been to the Hoover Dam, but it's the only place that you, I've ever been to where you can put your left foot in one time zone and your right foot in another time zone. And consequently also two states because there's a state line right there. And so I was standing in two time zones at one spot. It has a line there right where it, it splits. And uh, so I was hungry on my right side and, you know, how that goes. But uh, this is what we like to do with sin sometimes. Put one foot in church. We want God in our life. We want Jesus. We want to carry the name Christian. But, you know, weekends are ours. Different for the weekend. I mean, I want to still have a good time. And so we have the one foot in the world. And you can't do that. Because the world and God, they're going opposite directions. If you try to hold hands with both, it's going to rip you apart somehow. And so we must make that choice. And, and this is not a time for compromise. We cannot combine the altar of God with the altar of evil and think that that's going to help us in any way. It will not. If it's going to solve your problems or if you do want to solve your problems, you've got to get rid of the altars of evil and replace them with the altar of God. Let me just give you some personal application to this. We need to replace filthy movies with the Word of God and God-honoring. There are God-honoring movies and videos to watch. We need to replace worldly music with God-honoring music. We need to replace wrong worldly friendships. You know who they are. People that uh, curse God or use God's name in vain and have no interest in honoring Him. They pull you away. They get you to do things you shouldn't do and 
be involved in things you shouldn't be involved with. Uh, replace those wrong friendships with God-honoring friendships with people that will pull you toward Christ instead of away from Christ. Best place to find them is in church, by the way. Replace your complaining with a grateful spirit. Replace your defeated attitude with victorious living. We could go on and on and on. point I'm trying to make is God made it plain to Gideon that it was God or Baal, not God and Baal. And we've got to have that clear in our life as well. We're going to have, and I deal with it every week, and you have friends, and maybe you're, you go even through this sometimes in your life, but people that are just miserable in their life because they're not getting rid of the altars of evil. They're trying to do God and Baal. And if you live a God and Baal life, you will be of all people most miserable. You can't do both. The altar of Baal must go. And the altar of God must be built if the Midianite problem, that's the symptom. Oh, pastor, it's not that all my problems are over. These are my list of problems. And more often than not, those list of problems that we have in our life are because you go back and you find a spiritual problem. An altar of Baal we've not taken care of, a, an, an unfaithfulness to God. And so we've got all these other problems that follow that. Let's go back to the source. That's what he had uh, Gideon do here. It's also interesting, you see the place for the orders. God's orders for Gideon were to be executed right in his own home. Purification was to begin in his home. Before he could lead others to righteousness, he had to first be righteous himself. Before he could reform a nation, he needed to reform his own home. The qualification is the basic principle of, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? It's interesting that God, before God's going to use Gideon, Gideon, you've got a few things to clean up. And so he put him to work right in his own uh, home. Gideon, if he could not correct the problems in his home, how could he go out and help heal the problems of a nation? And I love the final point here, obedience. I love the obedience of Gideon. Look at verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. We see promptness in disobedience. Uh, God spoke and Gideon acted. He did not delay. He did not argue. They are, well, he had argued a little bit before, but not in this conversation. Now he's accepting it. Didn't argue, didn't refuse. If you're going to work God's will in your life, we have to be prompt in our duty. We have to just carry it out. Not argue about it, not fuss about it. Just do what God says. Those who delay... Uh, in their walk with God, those who delay in their obedience to God are never going to accomplish much for God. And there's people like that today, nothing but floaters, never seem to get their life in order, <coughs> always uh, behind in their work, complain about a lack of time, complain about every, all kinds of things. But we just need to be prompt in doing what God says. Look, the Bible's very clear we ought to be in church. Let's be in church. You know, the Bible's very clear we ought to give. Let's give. Let's just do what God says. It's amazing how much simpler life is if we just do what God says. Gideon became a great leader of Israel, and one of the reasons, I believe, is that he did not procrastinate in his duties. Hard work. Listen to this statement. I wrote this down in my notebook because I want to, uh, a couple of years ago, I wanted to see it over and over because this is so true. Hard work is often easy work, not done at the proper time. Now, how true is that? Hard work is often easy work, 
not done at the proper time. And so we put it off when it's easy, and then one day it becomes really hard. <laughs> I, you can go back to disciplining children. Disciplining a one, two, and three-year-old's easy. If it's not done, you're going to have a hard job at age 14, 15, and 16. You see what I'm saying? And so hard work is often the easy work you don't do at the proper time. There's a Gloria Pitzer poem that I like. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. Procrastination. How many of us are guilty of procrastination? We ought to be quick in doing the commands of God. Every command that is given by God ought to be followed by a then like it was with Gideon. Then Gideon took ten men and went right to work. Timing is so vital to delay is to lose opportunity. And by the way, aren't we hypocritical about this? Because when we pray and want God to do something in our life, we want him to jump too, just like that. Oh man, if he doesn't do something right away, then we accuse God of uh, not being faithful to keeping his promises. God's always on time, but uh, even if we delay, but we, we expect real quick action on his behalf. If we want God to hasten our deliverance from Midian, we'd better be prompt in obeying him getting rid of the false gods. Amen? So we do our part 100%. God will always do his. Gideon took 10 men. We see not only the promptness, but the perspiration in his obedience. He, it, it, this is not an easy task. He had 10 men that he took with him to do it. It would take an, a great effort to tear down uh, the altar of Baal. And uh, these altars were made of, were, were large. They were ornate. They were made out of stone. And then they had to cut down all the grove as well. And uh, he needed some of help to get the job done. And this is a good reminder for us. The Christian life is not always easy street. Sometimes there is labor involved. Sometimes there is some sweat involved. It, it requires co-laborers to get those things done. In fact, there are things right now, and you, you pray about these things along with me. There's things in this church right now that are not getting done. I think of a, a bus ministry just as an example. Uh, just because of lack of workers. We have two buses. You know, we, just, we need some workers. We need some people that are willing to get involved and get into that work. And I understand it's not, not everybody can do that, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up, but it is, it is something for us to remember. Uh, there, the, the, the God's work is work to do that. We need to be willing to do it. Sometimes we paint the Christian life as a vacation instead of a vocation. And it's not a vacation, it's a vocation. Paul calls it that in Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Obedience at times is difficult, cannot be done with great effort. And I, I believe that reason that we, an effect of us not accepting this, an effect of us not realizing this is that we've created a generation of very soft Christians. All right, look at the prudence of his obedience. Verse 27, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. All right, here's the question. Was that cowardice or prudence? I, I won't do a raise of hands, but how many think it was cowardly? Did it by night. Maybe we would say it was prudent. I guess you can decide, but I'd like to point out one thing. Uh, Gideon's fear did not keep him from doing the work. That's a good thing. Amen? Uh, he 
he did it when it could be best done. There may have been fear, but there's not disobedience. And that's okay, really. I mean, there can be fear. Uh, in fact, courage, uh, but it didn't cause him to be a coward because he still did tear down the altar. Fear doesn't have to make us cowards. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing things in spite of fear. Don't ever forget that. A lot of times we think the opposite of, of uh, fear is courage. The opposite of fear is not courage. Because people do all kinds of courageous things when they're scared to death. And uh, fear is the action in spite of courage. Uh, courage, I'm sorry, is the action in spite of fear. Courage is doing what you're afraid to do. In fact, there can be no courage unless you're scared. Otherwise, it's not courage. After I get done, I'm going to walk back to my office, and I'm not scared one bit to do it. So it's not going to take courage. Okay? It's, uh, but if I was to walk down the streets of Chicago tonight, it would probably take a little courage, wouldn't it? Uh, you understand what I'm saying? There's, it, where there's no fear, there's no courage. Fear is really a part of courage. Gideon used this fear to produce caution on how he would do the task, not as a reason not to do the task. And that's important. If Gideon was to tear down the altar of Baal in broad daylight, now it would be no doubt that he would have been stopped by his father and the men of the city. He probably knew this. You see, they all showed up the next morning after it was too late for them to do anything about it. So he just went and did it at night. They did discover the destruction. They were furious, but it was already done. Nothing they could do about it at that point. And so I'm sure they'd have tried to stop him had they seen it. And so all in all, I, my personal opinion is I don't uh, attribute cowardice to Gideon here. But even if he was, uh, he, even the fact that he was afraid didn't stop him from doing the work. Can I tell you tonight, folks, sometimes it takes some courage to do God's will, to follow the Lord's directions. I, I'll, I, I'll never forget what it meant when we moved out here. It was... Uh, terribly fearful thing to leave a well-established area and with roots we had deep roots and we're going to a place i didn't know what people in south dakota were like i mean i don't know what kind of weird crazies lived out in a place like that's never visited before it's a fearful thing but we obey god it's a good thing amen we need to act in spite of that fear uh it was a tremendous act of courage taking 10 of his men destroying the altar of baal and then building an altar to Jehovah and sacrifice on it. We ought to do our duty in spite of fear. Now, I was going to get into the opposition, but we're going to start that next week so that because we, I have a, quite a bit to say there. Uh, there's a, there's, it's interesting.